It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app on yet another Misery Monday. Our ninth of the season. I guess all of them haven't been on Mondays because, well, there was the Thursday night game against the Bears. That was the first time they gave up 40 this year. And then there was, uh, I mean, we had a Misery Monday because we were off on Black Friday uh, after they gave up 45 to the Cowboys. And here we are again. In uh, Misery Monday land. Yikes. Not good. Doesn't matter how good it is. We start the show the same way. Hit it! It's time to get the breakdown started. First up, 10 observations. It's first and 10. Oh boy, where to start, where to start. Let's start with the highest level of thought specific to this game. I'm just going to say this. And then we're going to get on to the larger, bigger point. Number one. The most important thing for the Dolphins-Commanders game is that was a good football team against a bad football team, and they played football, and what happened was what happens when a good football team plays a bad football team, and that is really the most important thing you need to know as to why they lost by a billion D. That's it. Like, it was a bad, it, it, not only a good football team in the Dolphins, but a good football team that does the things well that the commanders have as weaknesses as a bad football team. Again, that's not earth-shattering analysis, but they lose 45 to 15, and that's why. So, let's let's just acknowledge that. We'll get to some specifics, but let's then get to the actual biggest takeaway for me from this game, and this is going to be a headline that stuns people. Number two. In this football game, Mike McDaniel exposed Eric Bieniemy more than he did Ron Rivera. Wait a second. You mean Mike McDaniel, the offensive coach, exposed the other offensive coach more than the defensive coach that he dropped 45 points on? I guess 30, whatever, 37, uh, 38, because one of it was a pick six. Yeah, uh, I, I, I did say that. I mean every word of it. Let me explain. What you saw yesterday at FedEx Field was the team in white running a big boy modern 2023 offense. And Anthony, hilariously, do you remember the promo that we had running for a while uh, about me saying, I'm excited because I think the commanders are going to run a big boy 2023 offense? Yes, I do. They didn't. They don't do that. They don't run a big boy 2023 NFL offense. In fact, they run the West Coast version of what Scott Turner ran. I can't believe on December 4th, I'm sitting here saying that. But they run a West Coast versus an Eric Coriel version of what Scott Turner ran. It's simple pictures for the quarterback. It's not using motions and formations to create matchups for your star players. It's not playing to your strength. It's just relying on the scheme to win. And that doesn't work because the last 40 years of the NFL, defenses have been trying to stop those offenses, the Air Coriel system from Coriel himself and the West Coast Bill Walsh system. Defenses. Now, in 2023, with their zone match concepts and all the different tools they have, know what to do with basic schemes. So, how do you then use that against them and create great matchups in space, big plays, good angles in the run game, etc., for your players? Even if they're very good players, not just rely on the fact that they might win one-on-one. 
And Mike McDaniels takes that to the biggest extreme in the NFL. They game plan everything. Tyreek Hill is everywhere. Is Tyreek Hill the best receiver in football? Probably. Is he definitely playing the best because he actually plays for a coach who says, hey, man, I know you're really good. And typically we try to, you know, traditionally NFL offensive coordinators just gimmick stuff up for players who aren't very good. They just leave players who are good alone and trust that they'll win. But what if we took the concepts that are used to make sure that not as good players got open and apply them to you? And the answer is this offense. And if you watch the two teams play yesterday and you think Washington's offense looks anything like Miami's, you, I revoke your football-watching intelligence card. I don't think I'm going to have to do that to anyone because the results are self-evident. And by the way, the numbers at this point aren't that different from what we saw last year. And again, Scott Turner last year was dealing with Carson Wentz for six-plus games. Like, I just... The, that, that That's the results. Like... We can talk about the process, and I'll keep going on that in a second, but it just, the results are are damning at this point. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, for anyone that thought EB might be a candidate here as head coach, I I think at this point, with the way the defense is going and with a bunch of all the other stuff, like, if they wanted him to be the guy, like, they would have made him the guy. I think I'm pretty confident in that. And I am definitely ready to definitively say here on December 4th, that I am not interested in another year of this. I just, I would like some more creativity. I would like some more innovation. And I would like a different philosophy. And the biggest difference between old school and new school philosophy in the NFL right now offensively is not West Coast versus Air Coriel, horizontal versus vertical, run versus pass. It is personnel versus scheme. And what the best coaches are doing is using scheme to elevate great personnel versus trusting that good personnel will win and produce with a good scheme. That is the difference. And what's crazy to me is if you watch Kansas City's offense while Biennemi was there, by the way, an offense that's struggling uh, more than it has recently without him. So it's not like EB doesn't didn't contribute anything there. It's not like he's a big giant dum-dum. It's just that, like, it's for whatever reason, this year... He hasn't done some of the stuff that worked for him in the past. You watch how they game plan stuff for Kadarius Toney. You watch how they game plan stuff for Tyreek back in the day. You watch how they game plan stuff, uh, obviously, for Travis Kelsey over the course of years. But also, part of the reason that offense works so damn well is because it is designed for some more interior type of players, and Kelsey, as a tight end, is the ultimate of that. It also works well when you have a quarterback who's super creative, and you've seen Sam shine at times this year with that. And he, uh, Mahomes and Kelsey have this incredible chemistry that ultimately makes that thing Super Bowl worthy year in and year out, although currently not maximized as we see with them losing again last night. But the Miami offense is dynamic. It's balanced, not 50-50 balance. It's not what balanced means. Balance doesn't mean two people on, on or one person on either side of the seesaw. It means the right weights on each side of the seesaw. And that's what Miami's is. They run it enough that they get the benefit of their play-action game. Their play-action game is married to their run game. Their their protections make sense for the route combination. It is dynamic. It is cohesive. And it is specific. 
Miami, more than any other team in football, says, what do you do defensively? When do you do it? Okay. If they then are going to run this front most of the time on first down, we're going to make sure we practice running our base runs this week against that front. We're going to game plan it up. And that's the difference between your your training camp offense that is more or less generic. Hey, in theory, you're going to kind of block this guy. Well, what happens when this guy is over there? Or this guy now is on the wrong side of you? Do you figure out how to create a better angle? Do you figure out how to change the numbers? Like, do you do the little things that when teams throw wrinkles at you to make your life difficult, you have an adjustment ready? The commanders don't. The Dolphins do. The Dolphins have maybe the best offensive in the NFL. And the commanders are bottom 10 again. Yesterday, Mike McDaniel exposed Eric Bieniemy more than he did Ron Rivera. Maybe the biggest piece of evidence is Terry McLaurin's usage. We'll pick up our first in 10 there next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app and streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. All right, let's pick up with our first in 10. First segment and we got 10 observations from that 45-15 loss to the Dolphins. Number three. Terry McLaurin didn't forget how to play football. And it's interesting hearing some of the commentary of, oh, he's overrated, he was never that good, blah, blah, blah. Terry McLaurin is a really freaking good football player, and I've already been exchanging some film clips with Logan. Like, there's opportunities in this game where he just doesn't get the football. He does what he's supposed to. Or other people get in his way, like John Dotson. Uh, there was one play I was looking at that I think Terry could have gotten a look if he could have been faster into his route. But John Dotson is slow off his release out of a, out of a bunch, and he's kind of in Terry's way. And so, what's Terry supposed to do? Run him over? Like, no, that's going to make it slower for the both of them. So he kind of skips, hops, and, and releases behind Jahan. But by then, the offensive line, which we'll get to, is giving up a pressure, and Sam can't get the ball to Terry. Like, there are opportunities in this game. There's no feasible way that he should have three targets and no catches. He's too good for that. And, of course, some of that is on him. But it goes back to what I talked about with Biennemi, where do you believe in getting your best players the football and having that win you football games? Because if you do, you find ways. Screens. He is an excellent slant runner. That can't be that hard to get him isolated whether it's as an outside receiver or, God forbid, you move him into the slot. I mean, look at what Mike McDaniel did yesterday on that first Tyreek Hill touchdown. He created a man-to-man matchup of Tyreek Hill on Quan Martin man-to-man with no safety help. Don't tell me it can't be done. It's like, hey, it's third down. There's a good chance they're going to play man here. Let's find out. Okay, cool. Let's move A-chain outside. Uh, oh, Jamin Davis followed him. That's man-to-man. By the way, A-Chan smoked Davis on that. Jamin got lucky. The ball went the other way. Not lucky as a team because the other way was to Tyree Kill with no safety help because the safety was helping to the running back on linebacker side. But that happens, one, because you get Tyreek matched up against uh, your nickel corner. It happened to be Quan on that particular one, um, a rookie nickel corner. And they do it out of the slot so there's more room to work, right? A slot fade is way easier. One, 
you have a two-way go, so you can either beat your guy inside and then box him to the outside, or you can get a clean release outside and there's more space to throw it. So it's a, it's a more ideal throw, and you're just operating in acres of space. Why can't they do that stuff with McLaren? There's, there's no good reason. And so it just, it drives me bananas, some of the stuff about Terry. And obviously he's got this incredible quote after the game where he's like, yeah, I got some good cardio in out there. But some of this is on Sam and decision-making. Some of this is on Eric and design flaw. Some of this is on other people getting in the way, not running the right routes. And some of it is on Terry, not performing up to the level that he would certainly hope. But at the same time, like, if I'm, I, as a human being, I have empathy for Terry because you're having the worst season of your career with this guy that was supposed to turn you into an all-pro. And, like, that's got to be hard to to mentally keep plowing forward. And you're not going to have a rhythm. You're not going to feel in the game in the same way. It's not like he's not playing hard. Um, but, God, what a tough day at work for Terry McLaurin yesterday. Number four. Continuing on this, like, things Eric perhaps could be more creative with uh, train and in ways that this offense probably could have been better and helped itself and, and helped the defense, which is not good. Um, all that stuff. What if they had, like, a, a run game with Sam Howell? You know, you watch Sam yesterday, and this kid is so special off schedule He's so special as a runner. Like, not in the way Lamar Jackson is special as a runner, but he just picks up big plays. And, like, he's tough and he's elusive and he sets up blocks. He sees the field extremely well as a runner when he gets out into space. So why not use that? Like, you're you're struggling to find things that work, that create rhythm, that help him feel in the game. So you found quick game for a while. And, by the way, your run game is actually been pretty efficient, but most of that is just because you're subverting expectations and no one ever anticipates you running. And and maybe if you had a little bit, something you liked a little bit more, you could get some more consistency and you like these gun runs. So if you zone read that and you make it, so you take either a player out of the run fit because he's got to account for Sam or he goes and chases a running back who doesn't have the ball and Sam's got a wide open lane. These seem like good things. So, you know, I, I'm again, I'm not an offensive coordinator, I am not an NFL coach, but I've been around this game long enough and I, I know enough and I've studied enough and talked to enough smart people to know like some of the options available on a big picture basis. And that's one that just doesn't make sense to me that they haven't used this year. And you're reminded of it yesterday as Sam finds the end zone again and has another pretty significant day on the ground. Number five. The, uh, the pick six. Yikes, man. I don't know whether that's bad play design and, and Wiley's not supposed to get a punch or Wiley just kind of times it out and he's like, I'm trying to get a punch, trying to get a punch. This guy's running away from me. Okay, I leave now. And he just figures he's out of the play and then and then he's not because he's very much in the play. In fact, he's in the throwing lane. But that's just brutal. And it's the kind of detail level mistake that either from a design flaw standpoint or an execution standpoint shouldn't be happening in the NFL. It's also a ridiculous play by Van Ginkle to feel that out. It's it's good scouting, but that's another thing. Like you talk about the sequencing of play calls and there's a couple times in this game, some of it's third down, some of it's that where it's like you're predictable offensively. And if a team knows what's coming, it's way easier to stop. And whether it's a certain run, whether it's it's a favorite concept. I mean, we killed Scott Turner last year for running mesh on every third down. This team has some, some tendencies like that. 
And out of that formation and kind of that point in the game, they were due for a wide receiver screen. And Van Ginkle was all over it. Oof. Woof. Not great. Bob. Number six. I don't know whether that one was on Wiley, but generally speaking, the offensive line did not have a good day. A couple of examples. And by the way, this is why it's so hard to talk about offensive line play as a whole. Is like, on all these plays I'm going to mention, it's like one guy. Now, there are times where there's bad communication or multiple guys lose, but you can have, you know, guys have really good, like Sam Cosby had a good game yesterday. He was fine. Nothing really to complain about with Sam Cosby's day. And for a lot of plays, most of the other guys were largely fine. You know, they they ran the ball well yesterday, so that should probably be mentioned as a positive for the O-line. But, you know, second drive of the game, first play. Um, Four guys block it great, and Chris Paul just absolutely gets smoked. Bad, bad day for Chris Paul at the office yesterday. And it should have been an easy first down completion. And if I remember correctly, it probably would have been to Terry. And instead, Sam scrambles and he makes a nice little play out of it. But your offense's ability to get going, get in a rhythm and be on schedule is not there because your offensive line can't hold up in key situations. Uh, The third down on that same drive is the Van Ginkle spin move, which is just, a again, a really great play by him. But also kind of a weird set by Wiley. It's a weird uh, rush uh, or protection plan where Bates swings the the rusher way wide on a chip and then Wiley finds himself in like an awkward amount of space. He's got to do better in that. Um, You know, you give him the help of the chip. At that point, you got to protect the pocket, even if the pocket is going to be keeping the back door closed. Like, you got to figure that out. Um, And then there's a play later in the game, one of Terry's three targets, the one that they miss him in the end zone. Good play by Xavier Howard. Sam's got to throw that up early, and maybe he's able to lead Terry to open space if he's got more time. But it's a blitz, and it's I don't know whether it wound up being a true blitz or simulated pressure, but the defensive end drops out. The linebacker comes, and from a responsibility standpoint, Charles Leno is correct in looking at the defensive end, being like, that's my guy to block. But you let a guy, like, he's dropping... And you have a guy run right past you. Like, is that on the back? Is that on, uh, did Chris Paul need to slide? But, like, at some point, you need your offensive lineman to play a little bit, not outside of structure and scheme, because that gets you uh, in trouble, but you need them to make plays. And it's like, hey, I saw that that guy's dropping out. This guy seems to be going to murder my quarterback. I'm going to take a step to my right and de-cleat him. That would be good. Instead, Sam takes pressure, takes a big hit. Terry's not able to make the play down the field. Good play by Howard. But at the end of the day, what happens if Sam can step into that throw? Can he dot Terry? Can he lead him maybe farther to the middle of the field in space? Is that a touchdown at a key point in the game when it's still close-ish? I don't know. We can't know because it didn't happen. Offensive line. Not good. Number seven. Speaking of not good, um, this is the unscariest defense that I can remember watching in all my years here. They always had Ryan Kerrigan or Preston Smith or Chase or Montez. John has been here most of the time that I've been here. Duran, like they've had players who can get after the quarterback. They've always had someone floating around the back end who felt a little dangerous from a turnover perspective. They don't have any of that right now. And there's no pass rush. There's no playmaking. I mean, there's a play in the game. 
I think it's in the uh, second quarter. It's, it's like two plays before the second Hill touchdown. Tua's back there, and he sees Jalen Waddle running deep on Benjamin St. Juice and Percy Butler, and he basically goes, bleep it, I'm throwing it. And he heaves it long, and he's trying to, you know, hope that Waddle can run past those two guys, and they do a good job of staying there and breaking up the play. But there's no fear it's going to be picked off. It's like, eh, double coverage, but those two those two guys are not going to make a play. So let's throw it, and maybe something good happens. Maybe we get a PI. Maybe Jalen comes down with it. Maybe they trip over each other. Who knows? But there's no fear, and that's a, that's a rough place to be. That, that ship is so sailed by now. Um, I don't really have a lot to say on the defense. And not, they're bad. I think they can play better over the final four games with the simplification. There was some stuff, believe it or not, that was better yesterday. But they just they played the worst team they could play in the whole league yesterday. And that, yes, the scoreline is a result of that more so than it is anything else. Number eight. If you want something positive, I think KJ Henry is a good football player. Their fifth round pick who was inactive most of the first part of the year because he wasn't as impactful of a special teams guy as Andre Jones Jr. He's obviously been getting way more opportunities since the trades and the injury to F.A. Obata and the injury to James Williams. And he is showing that I think he can be a part of your rotation. And he he might be good enough to be a starter next year. He's not going to be a stud by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but just a very solid football player. And, you know, I, I remember talking to someone after they drafted him who was down at Clemson. And he's like, from a character standpoint, this guy's off the charts. The kind of like just core piece that you can build around. And kind of like James and Casey have been these last four years where it's, hey, these are really reliable guys that if we need them to start in a pinch, they're not going to leave us out to dry. They're not going to make a ton of plays, but they'll do the job. And you need, I think one of the lessons we learned from the Sweat Young experiment is you need a guy like that on your D-line. You need guys that will just rush the rush plan, not go out of structure, not freelance. And there's real value in structure so that other guys can freelance off of them. And so they need to get an impact edge guy this offseason, whether it's draft or free agency. No question about it. But I think KJ Henry might actually be the guy that they can play on the other side. If not, he's definitely, like his floor is he's a part of the rotation next year. So that's nice. Number nine. Speaking of things you can keep for next year, if you want to keep something for next year for continuity, and I realize no fan wants to do that, but it, organizationally speaking, if you're Josh Harris, um, there is, and by the way, there is something to that, to have someone on the coaching staff, someone in the building who the players know, we're familiar with, uh, and, and someone who, by the way, is also familiar with them. So that when a new coach comes in, yes, you want them to be able to form their own opinions, but if they want to know like, hey, What's so-and-so like? What? How do I get through to him? Did not have to learn that all fresh to have someone with some institutional knowledge of the people around. Nate Katzer would be actually a good guy to potentially keep. Um, the, the commander special teams has been fine this year, uh, and they've done that despite a number of key injuries to key special teamers at varying times. Like Christian Holmes missed a long time. Next guy stepped up was fine. Like, Quan Martin struggled immensely on defense. He's been a good special teams player. And I think the biggest one is obviously Jeremy Reeves, who was an all-pro last year. And Terrell Burgess has stepped in and been fantastic on teams for them. Um, being that personal punt protector, uh, being a, a guy who makes gets downfield and makes plays. Like, he hasn't been as good as Reeves, but like he's been solid and you, from a... Uh, a uh, production standpoint, you haven't given up big punt returns. You haven't given up big plays. And so if you want to keep Katzer around next year, 
I don't I don't think that's a bad idea. And by the way, Reeves replaced Shazer Everett, uh, and who was awesome before Reeves was. So there's there's clearly a through line of good coaching and, and good organization on that. And I think that there is some value in keeping someone who, by the way, knows more players than anyone else on the roster because that is the nature of special teams. It's up to you don't have to. It's up to the next coach. I'm not gonna throw a fit over the special teams coach by any stretch. But if he winds up staying around, just remember this little nugget from this here first and ten. Number ten. Last but not least, and this is something we're gonna get into as the week goes. The question of identity with the, with this team, besides punching bag right now, which is not an identity any team likes to be, you just kind of watch sometimes and you go, what are they trying to do? Like, what were they built for? Because they ran the ball pretty well yesterday and, like, they drafted Brian Robinson and they did all this stuff from a roster standpoint. Then they hired Eric Bieniemy and passed the ball more than anyone else. And by the way, they also drafted a bunch of receivers and spent money on Curtis Samuel. And it's just a non-cohesive roster. And I think that's going to be an interesting thing to follow this offseason is what parts of this roster stay, what parts go, in part because if you play a certain way, certain guys are a great fit, scheme fit potentially. You go a different way, a whole different guy or group of guys might also be very beneficial, but the the Venn diagram of both uh, is, is a bunch of losses, and that's where the current team sits. That is our first and 10. 10 observations from the game. And this one, the Commander's ninth loss of the season. When we get back, Logan Paulson and I's instant reaction of the game from FedEx Field. Take command on a Monday. Michael Phillips joins us. 5 o'clock, it's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. And always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. All right, here's what we got for the rest of the show today. First of all, Anthony, say hello to everybody. Anthony, of course, here, just, you know, first and ten, we kind of get down to business, you know? What's up, everybody? How y'all doing today? They can't talk back in. I know. Okay. (laughs) So there's that. Uh, Michael Phillips will join us coming up at the top of the hour. Always enjoy his uh, his visit. He told me yesterday, Anthony, uh, we, we got finished with the Take Command postgame show, the instant reaction show, uh, some of which we're about to play for you here on the radio show. But we got finished, and then Michael and I were chatting real quick, and he's like, I think I'm good for five minutes on this game and 15 minutes of bits tomorrow. Oh, wow. So, right. I don't know. I mean, we're going to talk about football, but that one could get wacky. Okay. Just saying. Uh, we'll go around the NFL at 5.30. How do we do on our picks? Actually, think we did okay yeah we did i mean the last game of the night didn't really yeah, help, not, a, but, not a good finish but yeah we're, we're okay um and then we will get through our pick six yikes on that uh coming up at 6 p.m right now though uh logan and i got together after the game yesterday and we spilled our thoughts into microphones let it rip it's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. I want to go to the offense, though, uh, for just a moment because I think this is the biggest concern right now with this team is the offense had some really nice performances earlier in the season, and from a production standpoint, it does really feel like they have they have 
taken a step back. Yeah. They're slowing down. Um, you know, Ron talked about missed opportunities post game. Sam said it's some of everything. I was sure. talking to to Logan Thomas about this, and he said the same thing. Like it's hard because it's some of everything. There's mm-hmm. not one thing to pinpoint. But when you see it a little bit more detailed, what do you see that they're not able to break 20 points yet again? Yeah, so this is going to be – it's kind of tough to talk about this because we don't have the all-22 yet. Yeah, right. So as soon as we have it, well, I'll give, be able to give you like a more detailed understanding. But at least my immediate reaction to this is that when you look at some of those coverage opportunities, teams are matching the concepts that, that the commanders are running at a really high level. There's not a lot of air in the coverage. There's not a lot of opportunity for separation guys kind of, I don't want to say they know it, but they, they're matching it very, very well. And obviously the, the Curtis Samuel play is exceptional, but then if you look at every other explosive kind of big play in this game, it's Sam escaping the pocket and elevating right. the offense. And I think that's the thing that is really, really challenging to negotiate as an analyst because you say, you look at what Miami does and everything they do is designed to put you in conflict and make the defense kind of second-guess themselves. And here this feels very very traditional in terms of approach and obviously they've had success with that at points in the year but I do feel like some of these better defense some of these more talented defenses some of these teams that are better at the man match stuff are man matching better and I think the it's making it more difficult for Sam to elevate and and do some special things and and to be fair like there's a choice route that they run um, early in the game to Jahan I think it was in the second quarter Jahan just takes too long on the choice Sam has to escape the pocket he finds Curtis down the field for an explosive play that's Jahan taking too long, right? Right. Logan said that there's yeah. a couple times where he thinks he could have separated faster, turned faster Correct. for the ball, et cetera. Right. And I think there's some of that going on. So there's the details, but also I just say, and again, maybe this is the OC and me coming out or dealing yeah. with Kyle or talking with Mike McDaniel. There's a hunger and a passion to elevate every single position on the field. And there's times where I'm like, is, is that putting him in the best position to make a play or be successful? And the answer is, is, is unknown to me at this point. I'll know better when I watch the L22. Yeah, that's fair <clears throat> enough. Uh, one of the big talking points after the game and the pressers, et cetera, I'm going to guess that uh, our friend Sam Fortier has a story on this coming because he was asking many of these questions. Terry McLaurin, just three targets mm-hmm. on the day, no catches. I think it's the second time he's had no catches in his career. I mean, what do you, what do you make of, of that? And, you know, is that – you know, when you, when you talk about the the approach, I think mm-hmm. it's interesting. The biggest, to me, discrepancy between like a new school and an old school approach is a lot of these new school coaches are like, "Who are my playmakers? How do I get them the ball?" Right. Old school is like, "Here's the scheme. It's going to work and get guys open." And it does feel like teams defensively have been able to match up with Terry well. He's obviously playing one of the best today, Jalen yeah. Ramsey. Um, and then there's not kind of a dedicated effort to get him the football. That's kind of a very, very broad yeah. view of it. But why, why are we, again, talking about Terry and, and his lack of production here? And this is, I think, kind of maybe goes in line with the first point I made about the, the way teams are matching concepts. Because, Terry, you know, we talked about Terry while he's a very skilled route runner, very dynamic athlete, very competitive at the catch point, not a great separator in, in, this, in the sense of like a Justin Jefferson or Tyreek Hill or whatever it is. And so I think the fact that teams are getting more familiar with the concepts that they're running and matching concepts better – make it more challenging for Terry to do something that he's not excellent at, which is separate. So I think that's part of it. Also, game flow. And reading through the progression is a big part of this, right? And so we've talked about how, um, you know, like there needs to be – when you're reading through the progression, you, maybe Terry's the number one read. Maybe you, you position it so that Terry's in that position as right. opposed to him being the third guy or whatever it is. So I think it's a combination of things. And, again, this is something we'll know better once we watch the All-22. But it is, a, it is a little bit confounding. And I think it's interesting that – most of Terry's targets in the last couple of weeks have come on quick game. And for whatever reason today, that was not a priority for this offense in the same way that it has been the last couple of weeks. So um, 
Interesting. Yeah. I, and I don't they ran a, the ball way more today than they have. Yeah. And to the point that uh, some people were getting a little snippy on Twitter because apparently on the broadcast, Rivera told Christina Pink at halftime uh, that, like, hey, we're down 31-7. we got to run the ball more. Um, so I'm not sure the exact context of that, obviously being here at the stadium, like yeah. if you're watching on YouTube, you can see we are, um, you don't get to, you get to hear exactly the context of that sure. quote, but, um, I, it makes me think that there was a clear directive to run the football more and maybe EB kind of subbed the run game with some of that or subbed the quick game with some of that rushing. Maybe. And I think what Ron's probably talking about there is, is there's this knee jerk reaction in those situations to th- start throwing the ball a ton. And versus a Vic Fangio defense, when they do place put, place such a huge emphasis on coverage structures, you gotta you can't totally depart from the run, right? It's got to be still a feature of what you're doing. So I think that's something that maybe he was alluding to. And again, we didn't hear the quote, but I, I know that sounds probably bad, but I think versus this defense and versus this style of defense, yeah. you need to keep that as a feature or or some type of run uh, a pass kind of run um, changeover. Substitute, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so. Sam Howell, I think, is in a very very interesting spot now over these final four yeah. games. It does feel more like ever before that he's kind of playing for his job for next year. Obviously, there's a million factors in this, which is going to start with who is available, depending on where they draft, and how does that quarterback, potentially your quarterbacks, how do they compare to Sam? All Sam can control right now is how he plays. Yeah. The off-schedule stuff's insane. It's awesome. And, he's and been great. I, I think that before we talk about maybe why he's having to be off-schedule so much, it's important to point out that is a very rare trait. And the ability to make plays in this league matters a lot. It is one of the reasons I would be extremely hesitant to go in a different direction right. unless I love one of these quarterbacks because I feel like I can keep putting him in better situations on mm-hmm. schedule. I think the thing that we need to get a feel for over this final four-game stretch of the season from Sam is how much of this stuff that's happening on schedule, how much of the sacks, how much of the pressures are happening because he's missing stuff in yes, the rhythm of the I think offense that's absolutely right. versus breakdowns from the offensive line, receivers not doing their job on time. How much of this is quarterback adjacent? How much of this is uh, how much of this is non quarterback yeah. adjacent? I think that's a great point. You know, like we're we got the Philly uh, 49ers game on here in the background and you see Brock Purdy anticipating throws. And that's something that when you watch Sam Howell he doesn't have a great feel for those anticipatory throws. And in this offense, in this West Coast offense, that's a huge feature of it. When you watch Tua, you know, not the strongest arm, but he anticipates throws at an extremely high level. Like when he's throwing that drift, when he's throwing that dig, when he's throwing the, the corner of the pylon, whatever it is, that ball's out before the receivers made the break. And that's understanding the concept, that's trusting the concept. And I'm not sure Sam's there yet. So when we go back and watch the All-22, I think we'll be able to kind of give a better feel for, hey, there's not a lot of air here, but if he throws this with a little anticipation or he gets to the backside dig a little bit quicker, there's an opportunity there. But I also think it's important to just – it's the more I'm thinking about it, the more we're talking through it, it becomes apparent to me just re- reflecting on the game that sometimes it's the play call, sometimes it's the receiver, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's Sam. And that's uh, another sign of kind of a young offense because I can think of a couple just off the top of my head where Logan's running the backside dig, and that's been open a ton for like Jalen Hurts, for example, and it's completely blanketed here, right? And – is that Logan? Is that running that concept too frequently? But I'm sure everyone would kind of, everyone should take a little bit of responsibility and ownership and say, I could do it better. So, yeah. Um, I think. And to Sam's credit, by the way, he did. He always game. does. And yeah. that's, 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 uh, that's a fantastic element of leadership that he always seems to bring to those postgame pressers. And um, it, I think it's one of the things that makes him special. But uh, so to your point, is, is he's improved in terms of taking sacks. He's improved in that area. Can he improve in this area? It seems like yes. 
and he just seems like the type of kid you want to bet on, especially given some of the off-schedule stuff he's been able to get to. But he, to be a good quarterback, you got to work within the schedule of the offense. And, right. again, we'll know when we watch the L22, but that's something we definitely got to keep an eye on. I think you made a great point a couple times this week, podcast, pregame mm-hmm. show, probably other places too. Like, J- this is on track for, like, a Jalen Hurts model. Yeah. Obviously, Jalen's taking it to an MVP level, and who knows what Sam will eventually cap out as from a ceiling standpoint. But if you have a guy who does something special, you continue to work with him. Yeah. You might be able to develop him into a better – on schedule in rhythm quarterback that's the model there's also been a ton of guys who make crazy plays and can't ever get it right from in the pocket or, or never figure it out they wind up being backups or wind up out of the league so it can go any number of directions but, your but best also, case scenario is is a jalen hurts also to your point though and i think to, the, to this general point is the thing about jalen hurts is his intangibles his leadership off the field his work ethic yeah and he was able to develop there were times his rookie year or the, his first year starting where i thought there's no way he can progress. This is going to be a fatal flaw for a long time. And every single week, he got a little bit better at it. And you see those improvements from Sam, which yeah. is very, very encouraging. So, uh, again, it's still four games left, still a lot of the evaluation still that needs to be fleshed out. But I think some of those, some of those reasons to be optimistic are Sam's willingness to improve the leadership stuff you're talking about, the way guys the way he resonates with the guys it's yeah. all stuff that you saw with Jalen Hurts now that's not the end all be all you ultimately need to be a good football player but I think there's enough shades there to say hey there's a piece here we can build around I think you said it well like I wouldn't bet against Sam Howell yeah. um I still like I know I know it hasn't been pretty but I would not bet against Sam Howell because I think that dude's made up of the right stuff and I think he's got great physical talent and we'll see ultimately uh where it winds up all right let's circle back to end where we started uh the defense sure they're playing the Miami offense, yeah. and I think that is the most important factor in this game. Yeah. Um, but what did you see? I mean, no one's going to say there could possibly be any improvement when you're down 31-7 at halftime. Obviously, right. there's a pick six in there as well. By the way, not great for Sam. Three straight games with a pick, pick six. six. Um, less than ideal. That's just a great play by the defender there. Um, but at and the end of the day, uh, defensively, they still give up a ton of points. They only forced one punt in the first half. Um, you know, Miami, even at the end of the game, I said to, to Mitch Tischler with a set. I remember because I said it out loud. Seven forty-four to go, and I go, Mitch is about to be a long seven forty-four. <laughs> Start playing on my phone a little bit, peruse Twitter, keep an eye on the game, obviously, yeah. but it's out of reach at that point. I don't think I missed much. Next thing you know, it's a two-minute warning. Yeah, Miami's just able to bleed it down. Yeah. Miami literally got whatever they wanted. But did you see a difference at all so, from what it's been? Yeah, so I thought there was more, like, because I do, like, a preliminary kind of, like, red-green on my notes when I'm watching the game. And there yeah. was much more green defensively. There was a great coverage play by uh, Cam Curl where he's, like, running with the – where, like, that's a touchdown two weeks ago. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? There's a reverse where the, the backside yeah. defensive end stays home and makes a tackle. Uh, K.J. Henry on, like, a little jet sweep action, tackle for loss. Like, those types of plays, I think people forget them, rightfully so. Because there's sure. a lot of bad ones, right? Right. But there were, uh, and Cody Barton did some excellent. Like he did this thing today, which was absolutely beautiful. I've, I've not seen anybody play it like this. RPO action with the slide to his side. He he matches the slide, then falls under the seam. It's completed, but it's like a bang bang play. And every other team that I watch play that, it's wide open for like a 15 yard gain. So there were some really nice things that were done today. You know, guys playing gaps. I thought Casey Tuhill handled the transportation stuff. They did really, really, really well. Great stuff there, but. There are individually good plays, right? right. And there's and no and the, that's this is the kind of the messed up thing about defense is you need to put three of them together back to back. If you put two of them together and one's an explosive, 
bad drive, right? Yep. So I think there was a couple sequences like that. Even the one, I think, to the Tyreek touchdown, the first three plays in that sequences were great. The guys did the right I stuff. I mean, those, those touchdowns are coming on third down. And, yeah. and I will say that's the, I think, disheartening, disappointing thing is it felt like McDaniel knew – Hey, if we get to third down, they're going to play man, and then we're yeah. just going to call something, and our guys are better than their guys. Yeah. And no, that's kind of what it felt like. There was inevitability still in that way about yeah. it, but I feel like the inevitability came from Miami more than it did. Like, it's it's a combo. Obviously, yeah. it felt inevitable because this defense is uh, not very good. But I am very curious. Like, like uh, even, th- even This game is the first batch of pancakes. Yeah, you know what 100%. they say about the first batch of pancakes? Not great. Chuck them out. Yeah. You're trying to figure out your griddle temperature. I had made pancakes yesterday. <laughs> uh, you try to figure out your griddle temperature. You're trying to get the color right. You're trying to get the recipe right. right. You, just, you just throw them out. To me, for like what this defense can be under Rivera, not that it matters in terms of playoffs or whatever, but in terms of the evaluations, I'm way more interested when you're not facing the best offense in the league and when you're not doing it on one week of, of yeah. coming in and trying to install it. Yeah, and even like the P.I. that uh, Benjamin St. Juice had. I thought, was terrible I thought that was a good technique. I thought yeah. that's exactly what you want. And could you throw it there? Yeah. And so to see that kind of improvement and that kind of understanding, quote unquote, from the guys in the back end, I thought was a nice step. Now it's a step and it's a long right. journey to get to where I think the fans, this team, everybody's expectations are regarding this defense. But there were some things that I was like, okay, this is much better than in Dallas. This is much yeah. better than Whatever. My hope is that it's playable enough to evaluate Correct. some players yes. over the next four weeks. You saw uh, some snippets today where that seems feasible. Um, would obviously help when you're not facing Tyreek Hill. All right, that was Take Command uh, last night, at least part of it. If you want a little bit more analysis, as there is a little bit more to be had, you can go ahead and check it out on YouTube at 1067thefan. Uh, then... Yeah, in our podcast feed as well. I was trying to think, is, is there more on my page? There's not. If you want to watch that because you listen to it on the radio and you would like to see Logan and I in front of our beautiful backdrop at FedEx Field, you, you can, at Craig Hoffman, on YouTube. And, of course, the Take Command podcast available anywhere you get your pods. We will do a film review uh, like usual tomorrow, although we are going to skew it a little bit um, and, and spend more time talking about Sam Howell, more time about Terry McLaurin, uh, than, than we had. And I think Anthony coming up at 6.15, I want to dive in a little bit more to like the EV side of this because, you know, obviously I talked about it extensively off the top of the show, but, you know, we, when it comes to like Terry specifically, some things that could slash should be happening. And Ron Rivera, we were just looking through the transcript of his press conference from a little earlier today. He actually said something that I think like he meant as, I don't say a defense, but like an explanation for why certain things are not happening offensively. And I think it is so damning. I think it like is the point of, to an extent, what's going on with EB and this offense, but also like his entire era, the lack of urgency, the lack of understanding of like when the season starts. Um, so we'll get to that coming up at 6.15. Uh, coming up... Still on the show, we got Michael Phillips in a few minutes. Uh, He's going to be talking, of course, about the game yesterday. He's talking about, uh, we'll see what else is on Phillips' brain because he he said there there could be some skits and bits coming. And, you know, Anthony, I do think it's important that we still have fun here. We are still a sports radio show. We got to have fun, Craig. You know, the team's not doing good on the the field, so uh, we got to find a way to enjoy ourselves while talking about this team, even though they're not – Doing so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I just want to put a smile on people's faces, you know? And yeah. there's only there's only so much that we can be able to, to do that if we, we're going to talk about the team. Because if I'm describing what happened, then uh, it's probably not going to be very smile-worthy. Nope. But if we can stick a joke in there every once in a while. Yep. We just randomly, you know, make stuff happen, and all of a sudden you're listening, and you're just rolling along. <laughs> Something like that happens. That one was, I wasn't even going to do that. I was going to be super childish and play this. Yeah, I almost pooted on this. Uh, but uh, instead, I hit the Price is Right theme on accident. I like that Price is Right theme. It is. It just, it's so happy. It is. <laughs> I, it's just, see? Now everybody's smiling. <laughs> yes, sir. Let's see what Michael Phillips has in store next.